0: Today from the global lane, dangerous escalation on NATO's doorstep, Russian nukes to Belarus and a growing Russia-China alliance. Are we heading toward a big war here?
1: I think uh, uh, we could be and it'll, it'll be dependent on how we act.
0: Indictment on hold, why the case against Donald Trump may soon hit a dead end
2: the D.A. could still pull off an indictment, but I think he's probably getting pressure not from the right of the political spectrum, but from his own folks.
0: The Great Resignation. Tens of thousands of U.S. doctors and medical professionals are calling it quits.
3: I can tell you, at this point in time, doctors hate medicine.
0: Mass school shootings and the decline of American values. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Upping the ante, Vladimir Putin says he'll move tactical nuclear weapons to Belarus by July. That would be the first time Russia has based nuclear weapons outside of its territory. The Russian president says he's only responding to Great Britain's decision to send armor-piercing munitions containing depleted uranium to Ukraine. Well, joining us with more is the Foundation for Democracy's Bradley Bowman. He's senior director of FDD's Center on Military and Political Power. Brad, this may be taking the Ukraine war to a new level, introducing nuclear weapons into a country that not only borders Ukraine, but also the NATO countries of Poland, Lithuania, Latvia. Are we seeing a dangerous escalation here, or is Putin's move just tit for tat?
1: Thank you for the question. It's not insignificant that uh, Putin would take this step. You know, At this point, it's an announcement, and they're working on uh, facilities and installation. We'll see if he actually moves forward and puts the actual uh, non-strategic or tactical nuclear weapons, as we call them, there in Belarus. But to me, this is part and parcel of what we've seen uh, since uh, February 24th last year. It is Vladimir Putin rattling the nuclear saber, with no indication you would actually use them against, certainly against NATO, most likely not against Ukraine, for uh, with the goal of uh, striking fear in the hearts of Western capitals so we don't take additional steps to support Ukraine in trying to defeat this unprovoked Russian invasion.
0: But there may be additional steps uh, for sanctions or additional sanctions. What do you think?
1: There is. This is going, there are always additional steps, whether there's a political will to take them, what remains to be seen. This will not be well received in Europe, uh, obviously, and will hopefully uh, generate additional political will uh, to keep the alliance as unified as possible and to take tangible steps uh, to increase uh, NATO de- member defense spending and to take steps to help Ukraine, which I really do believe is on the, on the frontier of freedom, fighting for common interests and values for, for all of the West.
0: It seems everything he does is just pushing NATO closer together, unifying them. And Putin says he's just doing what the United States has done for years, basing nukes in Turkey, Belgium, Netherlands, Italy and Germany. The U.S. has done that. And does he have a point here or is this uh, situation different uh, for NATO?
1: Uh, It appears that uh, Russia has about 2,000 non-strategic nuclear weapons. These are not governed by the New START agreement. That appears to be roughly... 10 times the number the United States has. And so uh, Putin has experimented with all these uh, strange, Lovian tactical nuclear weapons that are some of which are quite bizarre and quickly quite irresponsible. We don't match them uh, weapon for weapon, nor should we. But we should leave Putin with no confusion on that any attack against a a NATO member, uh, whether it be conventional or nuclear, would be the worst day of his life.
0: And we recently saw a historic meeting between China's President Xi Jinping and Putin in Moscow. So just how concerned should NATO and the United States be about this
1: growing alliance? I think we should be very concerned, uh, but uh, we should also have some confidence. I wouldn't want to be any other country right now than the United States, despite our challenges and shortcomings. Uh, And uh, I wouldn't want any other alliance structure than the one the United States has. We we have uh, the NATO alliance which uh, Putin and Xi can only dream of having allies like we have, despite their flaws. And so, yes, they're closer than they've been in the 1950s. Yes, they're doing joint exercises. Yes, uh, um, uh, Putin's becoming kind of the junior partner of Beijing. Uh, We see them shipping energy. We see Beijing providing diplomatic cover. Um, We see the consideration of potentially sending Chinese weapons to Russia to kill Ukrainians in their homes. These are all disturbing things. Uh, and we need to see the world as it is, not as we want it to be. But in the final analysis, I still would want to, wouldn't want to be any other country in the United States, and we should be proud of our alliance structure, and we should not take it for granted because it's a major grand strategic asset for us.
0: And the two leaders said they intend to change the course of history of the last 100 years. Many analysts believe that that means they'll work to eliminate the dollar as the world's reserve currency. So if Saudi Arabia agrees and moves away from the dollar as the currency for trading oil... Uh, That could cause a recession, maybe even crash the U.S. economy. What do you think?
1: China wants to co-opt the international order to remake it in its authoritarian image. So if you don't like what you're seeing in Xinjiang with the crimes against humanity and arguably genocide, if you don't like what we've seen in Hong Kong and the South and China Sea, or in the seas season skies around Taiwan, you're not going to like an international order where Beijing calls the shots. So they're trying to co-opt the international order. By that, I mean the idea that might does not make right and that powerful countries should not be able to invade other countries to redraw borders just because they can. And Putin's trying to destroy that system. So the, whether you're co-opting or destroying, either of those are a problem for anyone who doesn't, who has a problem with might makes right. You know, I've heard it said that, oh, it's just a territorial dispute. And Ukraine by some uh, political candidates. Well, you know what else was a territorial dispute? World War One and World War Two. So we've seen this movie before and we understand the strength is the best way to secure the peace.
0: And the Russians are on military maneuvers in the Sea of Japan. North Korea is launching missiles close to Japan. China's Navy still acting aggressively in the South China Sea. So how should the U.S. respond to all of this? Are we heading toward a big war here?
1: I think we uh, uh, we could be and it' it'll, it'll be dependent on how we act. And so the, the bad news is that we got problems. The good news is that we have agency here and we can do things to deter aggression. but we better act fast because our military advantages are eroding in the Taiwan Strait uh, and our, our adversaries, namely, China, Russia, and Iran are closer than they've been in a long time, and they're conducting strategic coordination against us. So we need to spend more in defense. We need to field capabilities faster. We need to wake up. China's already in a Cold War with us, and we need to keep that Cold War cold, and it will we'll do that by speaking with clarity and acting with strength.
0: Okay, Bradley Bowman, Senior Director of FDD's Center on Military and Political Power. Thank you, Brad, for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. Imminent indictment or a political theater? Despite Donald Trump's predictions that he would be indicted and arrested, so far, nothing has happened. During his first campaign rally in Waco, Texas, Trump had plenty to say about New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg's investigation.
2: From the beginning, it's been one witch hunt and phony investigation after another. The weaponization of our justice system is not, as some have called it, a political spectacle. This is the
0: central issue of our time. Here with more is former assistant U.S. attorney for Northern California, John O'Connor. Mr. O'Connor is a legal analyst and author of the book, The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened. John, it's always good to talk with you. So tell us what you think is going to happen, indictment or no indictment.
2: Well, if I had to bet, I'd say that the DA could still pull off an indictment uh, and but now, what I would say is that I think he's probably getting pressure not from the right of the political spectrum, but from his own folks. If I were uh, wanting to get Trump and if I were a, a partisan Democrat, I would be looking to Jack Smith's investigation, uh, who has Mar a Lago on January 6th, and uh, try to get Alvin Bragg not to do anything, because this is a terrible, terribly weak. Uh, indictment on many fronts
0: it seems the whole case is on shaky legal ground there are many issues here including federal authority versus state authority in the case statute of limitations the previous new york da cyrus vance as you know did not pursue an indictment neither did the doj so sort this out for us why alvin bragg why now what's going on here
2: he's got seven years since the event, so he has to prove that Trump was continuously out of the state for two years. I don't think he can do that, so I think the statute of limitations probably has expired. Secondly, and you point out, he is alleging that the second crime is a federal crime, not a state crime. It's unclear under the New York law whether you can charge a federal crime as the second crime, but even if you can, the federal crime he's alleging is one that the feds have already said was not a crime. Uh, And as a matter of fact, the feds have adamantly said just the opposite in the John Edwards prosecution. In the John Edwards prosecution, John Edwards used campaign funds to pay off his mistress to hush her up. Trump is alleged to have paid hush money to a mistress to hush her up, but he did not use campaign funds,
0: nor should he have. Trump also said, uh, this is the weaponization of our justice system. Now, you've written two books about Watergate. We haven't seen the targeting of a president or former U.S. president since Richard Nixon was chased from office. So how does this compare to then?
2: Well, in many ways, it's even worse than what they did to Nixon, uh, because at least when they got Nixon, who did not really know what was going on, he had, was clearly on tape in a fairly minor uh, crime, but nonetheless, he obstructed justice. And so there's no getting around that. Now, probably the hype surrounding um, President Nixon generated by the Post was enough for political opinion to get him out of there. And I think most of the public had the wrong context about Watergate. But nonetheless, it worked. And nonetheless, Nixon was guilty of at least one crime. In this case, Trump's not guilty of a crime. That's the difference. And I don't think that uh, anyone looks good that's gonna be bringing this case because it's so weak. Now, if I am Jack Smith, the special counsel on Mar-a-Lago and January 6th, I would be very upset because this looks like such a political witch hunt and and political prosecution that it will taint whatever Jack Smith does.
0: We've already seen, at least reportedly, Uh, The Trump's raised a lot of money on this. So indictment or not, how do you think all of this will flesh out and affect Trump's campaign and the country's political future? Well,
2: I think it probably in the short run will help Trump. It will certainly help him in the primaries. I'm not so sure the middle of the road is thrilled with more drama from Trump. They don't like it, even if he doesn't cause it. They sort of blame him for it. So I think this probably hurts him the middle of the road, and that's why they're doing it. It will strengthen him to get the nomination. It will strengthen him against DeSantis, his main opposition. Uh, but all in all, it is not good for our system at all, because it just shows us to be a banana republic, and I think the public is really getting sick of this. How the public will take Trump after this is an open question, is what I would say. Uh, will it, on on balance, will the sympathy that he is uh, he engenders here, will that Help him, as opposed to the fact that, after all, he did pay off a mistress. That's not a great fact. And also there's drama surrounding him. And perhaps he he handles this, he's handling this a bit uh, bumptiously, you know, when he had the baseball bat ad and so forth. I think a lot of uh, Republicans who are on Trump's side say, look, cut down the rhetoric that looks like it's violent rhetoric and let the sympathy come naturally to
0: you. Okay, we'll see how it all fleshes out. The book is The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened. Legal analyst John O'Connor, we thank you for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate you. Thank you.
2: Good talking to you. The
0: Great Resignation. Doctors and other healthcare care workers are leaving their jobs in droves. In 2021, more than 300,000 left the medical profession. More than one-third of them were doctors. Nearly half of all American healthcare care providers now say they'll quit by 2025. What in the world is going on? How will all of this affect the quality of your health care? Well, joining us to provide some insights is Dr. Stephen Soloway. He's one of this country's top rheumatologists and a former appointee to Donald Trump's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition. The author of the book, Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bad Doctors, Insurance Companies, and Big Government. It's good to have you with us. So so tell me, many doctors say they'll retire early or quit because they're fed up with dealing with government bureaucracy, big pharma, insurance companies. They say their profession in healthcare in this country is facing a crisis because of it. So, what do you believe is happening, and why?
3: Healthcare has been out of control for fifteen years. Um, things have been spiraling in the last two to four years. I can't explain the two to four year escalation. However, I can tell you, at this point in time, doctors hate medicine. It used to be so enjoyable. You'd learn, you'd have relationships with patients, you'd get them better, or you would try to, you'd rely on your colleagues for advice. Everything was, everything was Nirvana. It was perfect. Right now, Medicare has cut physician fees for, um, visits, office visits for 17 years in a row while expenses go up. The government, by pushing their woke agenda, is incentivizing staff that don't make a lot of money to sit home and collect and not work. So when my office and the hospital and the other hospital and the other hospital have thousands and thousands of unfilled jobs for medical assistance, for clerical work, for record takers, for all of the jobs that are not directly related to medicine we have a big shortage while we're dealing with this shortage we're noticing that the government is coming into our practice at night on the computer that they mandated 15 years ago with the obamacare and we are being criminalized just like the department of justice is a criminal weapon used by the left the medical establishment has become a a a criminal wing to investigate people that are working too much because God forbid you should do a good job efficiently. You're not considered to be a helper. You're considered to be a threat to the government as all conservatives are a threat to the government and all self-employed people are a threat to the government. And for this reason, I can't speak for every doctor, but one thing beautiful about medicine is the autonomy. Well, the autonomy is gone. And without autonomy and freedom and the ability to think outside the box, why would you want to go into a profession which you're supposed to think outside the box to come up with answers to unanswerable questions? You know, we're not dealing with math questions where two plus two is four. We're dealing with somebody with a headache, rash, and a fever and joint pain. And we have to th- sift through data which we have to order the right data, and if we don't have somebody to input the data, the test won't get done. If the person at the lab isn't there to draw the blood because they hate their job and they were given a 1000 bucks by the government to stay home, then we're not going to get the test. If the uh, MRI tech doesn't want to work because they don't like their salary, well, you're not going to get the MRI. And by the way, if you do get these tests approved, you're going to find out that the insurance company puts up a firewall and it's not approved. It's not approved because they don't want to pay for it.
0: What can the average person do about all this then?
3: The only thing that anyone can do about this is there has to be almost a, a, um, a revolution. And it's a two-phased two-phase attack here. One is you got to educate yourself and you got to advocate for yourself. You need to know the CEO of the hospital. You need to know the nursing manager. You need to know the congressman. And when you have problems, you really have to speak up. Because if you're in the right, they can't deny you. And the people don't understand that these companies don't have the right and the government does not have the right to deny you any reasonable care, whether it is a test or a medication and changing drugs for the for the um, benefit of their financial, um, you know, bottom line and the, the shareholders and the company. This is all a bunch of bull. So that's one thing. The second thing is that doctors have to be a little bit united in the sense that and I see this happening now. Doctors are not accepting Medicare patients, they're not accepting Medicare assignment. So the patient has to pay the $500 up front, then they submit the bill to Medicare and they get back to $17 and they see why the doctor didn't want to deal with it. So doctors need to take less insurance, they need to take less orders from anybody, and at the same time, the patient needs to be educated and know who to fight for, I'm sorry, who to yell to to fight for them, because the doctor, I cannot fight for 20 people a day by myself nor am I going to be able to pay for a a, literally a multidisciplinary team to do the fighting for me. Now, that's what needs to be done. So the only way it can be done in a cost-effective manner is me see less insurances and me fight more and educate my patients more. That's what can be
0: done. Okay, the book is Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bag Doctors, Insurance Companies, and Big Government. Dr. Stephen Soloway, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it.
3: I loved it. Thank you so much. I can't wait to come to Virginia Beach.
0: Americans are abandoning traditional values at an alarming rate. A new Wall Street Journal NORC poll found that priorities that once defined the nation for generations are no longer as important. Values like patriotism, religious faith and having children. Here's what they found. Only 38% of Americans said patriotism was very important, down from 70% in 1998. Only 39% said religion was very important, compared to 62% 25 years ago. And only 23% of American adults under the age of 30 said that having children was very important. Aaron Zittner is a reporter and editor for The Wall Street Journal. People just kind of think things are broken. This country is not what it was. We're becoming like... Europe, um, not a a continent of believers in God. Community involvement and hard work experienced steep declines as priorities. No surprise there. What should we expect after people were locked down in their homes and out of churches and their workplaces during the COVID pandemic? There was one noticeable increase in the poll. 43% of American adults cited money as very important. That was up from 31% in 1998. Now, that may be a response to the nation's high inflation rate. Regardless, money cannot be our priority. First Timothy 6.10 tells us, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith and their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Yes, our nation is pierced by many sorrows right now, all as a result of our declining commitment to traditional values. Folks, this poll is a reflection of the effect of anti-American, ungodly, woke ideas on our society. Our children lack training in the traditional values of decency, respect for others, belonging, and community. That's why they're shooting other children and adults in schools. They're taught that our nation's founding principles and Christianity are bad. Faith And the Ten Commandments are no longer priorities. We aren't teaching the two commandments Jesus said are the most important. Love God and love your neighbor. Just think how our society would change if we restored those values as priorities. There'd be less violence and less theft. And we'd be more civil, no longer divided by politics, but united by love. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.